Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never before told stories from the people. All right, of we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different Podcast Studios with a friend again. This is our second appearance on Detroit is Different. You're one of the the rare and the proud Where? few yes. that have came twice, double down on Detroit is different. <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to triple down and quad up and everything. We actually want to share you as a mic of this podcast. But Sharia Ayers, how are you doing today? I'm good. I cannot complain. All right. And as that phrase goes, last time we talked about your background, the classic one. But one of the big things we sort of talked about and we're expanding on is mm-hmm. your connection to black history. Mm-hmm. And your love for black history. We yeah. talked a little bit about that before. And this time we're talking about your Juneteenth effort that you've been doing for some years now. So let's talk a little bit about why is Juneteenth important, period. Okay. Well, first off, um, Juneteenth is important because it is the actual acknowledgement of the end of enslavement. Because prior to that, like the Emancipation Proclamation was... I guess, given out, um, for lack of better words, two and a half years before the enslaved in Galveston, Texas, found out about the news. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, like, African-Americans were freeing themselves or being self-liberating, excuse me, by the masses prior to the proclamation. And on top of that, like, we know a lot of them also entered into the the war to fight on the Union side. So needless to say... um, We celebrate Juneteenth because it signifies liberation for the enslaved across the country. And that's why we celebrate it. Okay. All right. And that's the celebration. And for you, as Mm -hmm. somebody that has done black history programs, uh, definitely leads black history facts. You even have trivia connected to black history. Uh, What was it that made you connect with bringing a Juneteenth celebration to life? Really, um, it all started from hanging out with my sister. Like, mm-hmm. we were hanging out for St. Patrick's Day, and I was looking at all these other melanated people in green, and I'm like, they don't even know who they are. You know, like, we need to celebrate ourselves. She was like, so what you going to do? I was like, well, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I I thought I was doing something, but apparently not. Um but anywho, through research and and things of that nature, I learned that a lot of states, not just the state of Texas, celebrates Juneteenth. And on top of that, we know with the Great Migration, several people from the South moved north mm-hmm. into several other cities like Detroit. Um, so it's relevant in the sense of the Great Migration, as well as, as, well as the fact that we need to celebrate liberation for all people. Um, so that's really the main reason why I thought to celebrate Juneteenth in particular, because we mm-hmm. do know it's a lot of other holidays and things that tie to black history. But it's really about making a cultural shift and starting one holiday or one purpose at a time. Mm-hmm. So you were sitting around on your phone looking at the pro-black imagery saying, look at all these black people wearing shamrocks, not <laughs> celebrating they people. <laughs> and you was like, all right, let me do something. Let me do something. And shout out to your sister, Janae Ayers. Yes. Uh, the definitely at large council, at large council uh, and seeking reelection this time around, yep. as you know, uh, but Pierce, also Pierce. a person that is grounded in black history 
too mm-hmm. and your mom just like uh as a tradition it was something that was inbred in your household mm-hmm. uh why do you think it's so important for our people to connect with these stories of liberation of freedom of of history in a celebration like juneteenth i think it's important because it it helps shape your identity as well as your future i mean a lot of us don't identify with who we are because we don't know who we are Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is like let's just be real the majority of us don't have our dna to trace back where we're from in the continent of africa or where our ancestors are from but we do have documented history in america in regards to the things that we have done as a people so i think it's vital in the sense that if you know people before you did it then you can do it so like prime example with juneteenth um in 1866, it was a few ministers, including uh, Richard Allen and a few other newly freed people who came together, put their finances together and purchased land. And it became Emancipation Park. I mean, Park, excuse me, Emancipation Park. And so it was a place for them to celebrate Juneteenth. And on top of that, that was the first public park open to African-Americans because mm. of Jim Crow. And so it was just an example, in my opinion, of collective economics, as well as people coming together for a cause and making a difference. So the whole thing is that, unfortunately, we've been in American society in which we have been conditioned to believe that rugged individualism is what we should all aspire to be. But it's not. That's not our that's not our nature. That's not who we are. And again, if we know who we are and we've seen examples in the past of being self-sufficient and having self-determination, then you can become different in regards to how people think and change their mindset. So that's why it's important. So a couple of things I definitely want to unpack in reference to that. But for the people watching, and this will go up the week of the Juneteenth celebration that you're leading, um, what's going to happen this year with your Juneteenth celebration? Whew, everything. <laughs> but uh, no, honestly. So it has really been a blessing because... A lot of people have gotten on board and we already have a bunch of influential people that are on the committee. So, um, but in a nutshell, this Juneteenth, Juneteenth, excuse me, um, we are going to activate Livernoy and have a unique shopping experience to promote economic nationalism. So what that's going to look like is that registered shoppers will be able to receive a map. Um, of all of the participating stores and I just updated the store list this morning so we are up to 48 stores that are participating Mm. on the avenue of fashion and that is one of the oldest black business districts in the country so that's a plus but anywho what's going to happen that day is that the registered shoppers will check in and then they'll be able to go to over 40 stores and either get something tangible like a giveaway um, a discount or some entertainment in that store. Mm -hmm. So literally every store will be celebrating in a different way. And the avenue will be decorated with some balloons and posters with our sponsors. We're also gonna have a vendor area with a marketplace so local vendors can also sell on that day too. And we have a podcast going that day with Motor City Business Roundtable because they're one of our partners um, that'll be going and it's hosted by Jajan Hobbs, and those have been our hosts for the past two years. So I really great host. Love, yeah, I love them. So um, mm-hmm. they're going to be hosting the podcast and interviewing some of the sponsors, some of the business owners, 
as well as like our other partner and sponsor this year. Shout out to the Charles H. Wright Museum, reciprocating. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, so they're going to also be doing the podcast. Then we're also going to have a health and wellness hub that will be held at Canvas Livernoy. So that's a pop-up space. And it'll just be basically just wellness stuff for the community. So Black Bottom Gun Club is going to be there. NABA, which is the National Association of Black Accountants, will be there. Um, a representative, Susan Gardner, from the Mental Health Task Force for District 2 will be there. Keetra Lewis of UFSC and First Independence will be there. Um, Shakia Ballard will be there, and she is in social work, and she has, like, these journals coming out in the fall to help women and people just get more in tune. So we have a lot in store, basically. And and with that, that's, uh, first off, applause. And I'm going to probably be in effect. We're just working out how I'm going to be there as Detroit is different. Mm-hmm. It's uh, another event at Pause. I'm going to be connecting to earlier in the day with Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frida Sampson connected to the Detroit is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, family, shout out to her in the symposium. And it's more Juneteenth events just happening, not just in Detroit, but mm-hmm. across the nation uh, as it's being more embraced and recognized. Uh, the tragedy of the murder of George Floyd mm-hmm. sparked this movement and tradition, which I do believe will carry on. Uh, And I want to talk about that. But, you know, in honoring what's happening this year, let's look at how it started from before, because Mm -hmm. you mentioned Charles Wright coming on as a sponsor. This originated from meetings there at Charles Wright. How did how was the first Juneteenth and how have you continued building this planning committee that now people look forward to and with high expectations? So the first year, again, it came from the challenge for my sister. And then with conversing with my mom and trying to brainstorm how to start everything, she was just like, why don't you call one of the blackest places in in the city, <laughs> which was the museum. Mm-hmm. So it only made sense. Um, so I called the museum. They put me in touch with Jatu, and she was very receptive to the, the ideas. And then I put the little poster out on Facebook for people to join the committee and they joined Mm -hmm. and met some awesome people who have rocked with me the past two years now. So, um, that's pretty much how I got started. I called the museum and they were receptive. And, and this is like in the line before, like I say, last year, a lot more momentum and I applaud. I I was actually at the Juneteenth and participant in it. Yeah. Don't just say participant. I was a a participant. I was a participant. (laughs) They had me jaw japping. I was talking about something with black history and the people. You sure were. You sure were. It was the first. It may have been the only virtual event that I I think I did last year. Like, it was, like, real cool, too. Yeah. Like, streamed and everything. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows I'm always talking with my hands. I was wondering, like, is this going, like, am I out of focus or something? But, you know, it worked out. It did. And that's the thing. So, that was 2019, calling the museum and... Getting that going, and we had a lot of people come out that year, mm-hmm. like at the least 3,000. So that was cool, and it was an all-day festival. And then last year, like you said, with the um, virtual live event. stream. Right. Mm-hmm. That, whew, that really was just, I can't even, that was literally a blessing because Whitmer had opened up the state two weeks before Juneteenth, and so I was like, what are we going to do? And then the whole committee was not going to let me not do anything. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. anywho, um, that came together with the owner of the building, which is called Daniel Reed. And we were able to stream from there. And um, one of our, I guess, artistic 
directors on the committee. Mm-hmm. She got the artists, and I was able to get speakers such as yourself, and it, that turned out great too. So thousands tuned into that. And then this year, really, the motivation came from being quarantined, having to read. Well, you don't have to read during quarantine, but I was reading. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this book called um, A Shining Thread of Hope. And it's the history of African-American women. And so hmm. I learned about the Housewives League of Detroit. And I've spoke about them a few times, but that was the motivation for this year's Juneteenth theme hmm. in regards to promoting economic nationalism because they had three criteria. They started in the 1930s, and it was 50 women, including Fannie B. Peck, um, mm-hmm. who made the call in Detroit. And they understood like the value and the power of our dollar as women, especially housewives, because they even though the men were the ones who were making the money due to sexism at the time, they controlled the money and what happened with it. So at the time, they had three criteria, and this was in the 1930s, which is during the Great Depression, um, they wanted to buy black products, support black businesses, and patronize black professionals. Hmm. So they went to various stores and merchants within the city of Detroit and different neighborhoods that were considered black um, to see if they met that criteria. And if they did it or didn't hire anybody or sell any black products, then they would put put them on a no-shop list. And during this decade... Not only did it grow from 50 women, it grew to 10,000. And on top of that, they were able to secure 75,000 jobs for African-Americans during the worst economic time period of our history. So I'm like, if they were doing this in the 1930s, what are we doing with all of the resources and stuff we have now? So that was really the motivation for trying to activate the avenue and doing something around economics this year. So along this way, uh, and you talk about something that's big, uh, as people know, Peck Park is named in that honor. I don't know if people are familiar with that. Not far from where the Charles H. Wright Museum resides now. Mm -hmm. And and this goes back into the idea of public parks and public spaces. Uh, I I look at you taking on the realm of uh, of being a a fan of and, and anchoring in history. Uh, like a Jamon Jordan and, and so many others here, uh, mm-hmm. Ken Coleman, um, you know, Paul Lee, like Detroit has such a rich history of people connected to it. And then even Detroit's black history runs mm-hmm. deep, very deep. Very uh, so uh, bringing that to life, bringing that together beyond wh- what you read about to interacting with the different people on Livernoy. Uh, shout out. I know a lot of the Livernoy uh, business mm-hmm. owners, too. We know that. uh Mr. Bartell and the Bartell family love Rufus and everything Rufus does. But, you know, just it's 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 different stories that go into the black experience, even with these different black businesses. How was the buy in getting the people there for a vision? Because so much can be thrown at you as an entrepreneur, as a business of in uh, in. How how did do you think they made the decision to join this effort? Because, you know, they probably get approached all the time, you know. Right. Well, honestly, it was because of the partners that we have. So mm-hmm. we are partnering with Motor City Business Roundtable and the Avenue of Fashion Business Association. So it actually started from one of the entrepreneurs on the Ave, um, Kelly Pickett. And he put me in touch with Dauphin. Feli and Rev Ron, who are like heavy hitters on the Ave. Mm-hmm. And I'll, 
also had reached out to Rufus, but, you know, he's super busy, but still. So due to their canvassing and and connections, they were able to get the majority of the stores on board. Mm. And so I appreciate them greatly for that. And then on top of that, um, we've canvassed the Ave twice. So we canvassed back in February to sign up stores, and then we canvassed again just this Saturday and signed up four more places. So. Yep. So really, it was just about letting the businesses know that we're not looking for them to pay anything to us, but really make it more unique for the shoppers. And then I think it also helped, too, because we were where we are, excuse me, providing a lot of the legwork with this. So, like, if they wanted to have entertainers in their store, then again, like I said, Colleen and Lolly Mariah were on finding and recruiting Mm -hmm. people to be to kind of give them the vibe that they wanted. So, like, for instance, in um, C. Granston's bullet shop, he was like, well, you know, being a a more... um, It's like high-end and leather. And uh, it's a clothing store that is definitely... Um, you know, it's not it's not a place where you're going to pick up a T-shirt. You know, exactly. it's not Foot Locker, but it definitely has some different type of fashion and apparel. And it's a little bit it has a different spin even than what Simply Casual is. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's its own feel. You should go in there for people listening. Exactly. And it's more, again, to your point, a little bit more high end, as we would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not cheap at all. So but. Still, they still have a couple items that are you know, cheap is rather relative, right. depending, depending on how you, on who you went, Right? <laughs> it's <laughs> like baby would be like, that ain't nothing. Ten thousand dollars on a t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. You know. But based on um, you know, people like myself, I would say yeah, so. there are some items that are are within budget. Um, but yeah, so with with him being a more high end uh clothier. Um, he was like, you know, I don't really know how much of a discount we can really give because we're mm-hmm. not, that's really not our brand. So he was like, it would be cool to have some poets in here though, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're going to activate his store with, well, it's actually a family business. So let me make that clear because his wife and children are there and I really like the vibe in there. And I like that, you know, it's just, again, generational wealth. Um, but anywho, so we're going to put poets in there and they'll be spitting and different shifts throughout 12 to 6. That's cool. That's cool. And and bringing this together so far of this hasn't happened, but of the 3, what does it look like next time? Because now it's almost like each Juneteenth has its own feel. Yeah. Cuz I know people are already saying what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen next year? I know Livernoy will be like, "Let's keep this here," but yeah. will this look different next year or you don't even know yet? I don't, because I'm not going to lie. This year, I thought it was actually going to be different because I made this whole proposal between Livernoy and the Charles H. Wright and submitted it um, because I would have liked for it to be like a whole weekend. Mm -hmm. So Friday would have been a kickoff with the museum. Saturday would have been more of the city events including what we're doing with the Jubilee because I have met quite a few people who are also doing Juneteenth um, events that have just showed love and mm-hmm. doing affiliate marketing with myself. So um, so that was the idea for Saturday. And then Sunday was going to lead us back to the museum for like a closing ceremony and how to continue to activate um, black history throughout the year. But so that was the plan initially. So I would just say this, um, Given some ideas that I have and, 
you know, through the, the grace of the committee. We'll see. Okay. All right. And in reference to you getting your black history facts, what what are you what are you doing? Are you Googling or is it all books? Is it hearsay? Are you hanging out with the old folks? What what uh, what do you do when you tap into some new black history? As one of the things I'm sure most people have tapped you. It's a new Netflix series called High on the Hog where everybody's mm-hmm. like, you got to watch this. You got to watch it. I'm like, I'm going to get to it. I'm not in documentary mode right now. Yeah. We'll get to it. Uh, yesterday, History Channel ran the massacre documentary mm-hmm. um, about what happened in in Oklahoma City, the yeah, black business also. district there mm-hmm. that uh, and that was very common. It wasn't just in Oklahoma City in mm-hmm. many places. Uh, massacres like that What right. made it unique was that was the first sanctioned bombing in a U.S. territory by the U.S. government specifically built from racism and hate. Mm-hmm. What what are some of the um, what are some of the places you look for your black history facts? All of the above. So, okay. you know, to your point. Literally, from listening to older, older people in my family and, and knowing some of their histories, um, from reading, from researching, from hearsay, and plus just like from being a history minor, a lot of stuff I had learned previously. So just backing up the validity of that and just the constant digging of understanding whose history is truth. Mm-hmm. And basically what I've learned, there is no truth. You know, you have to make your own. But if it, if more than one source that's credible backs up a certain fact or a tidbit, then that's what I roll with. And as you talk about roll with, you also come with an advantage of have being in a classroom and presenting this to young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it important for young people and how have you seen young people start responding to more of this black history as you start presenting it to them? Well, they loved it because I would live on my soapbox every Black History Month. Like they, they, everybody just knew at the school. Like it's nothing else is being taught in Miss Ayers' class except for Black History, the whole time that she can. And I mean, you know, I would infuse it, of course, throughout mm-hmm. the year because I still had to um, follow the uh, curriculum guide. But still, mm-hmm. they'd be like, "Algebra ain't got nothing to do with Black History," and they'd be like, <laughs> "Brother, do you know that's from the Moorish people, my brother?" <laughs> Exactly. Like, Every time I could, I would throw it in there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, from from my experiences in the classroom, what I learned with a lot of my scholars is that it made them more conscientious and, and woke to a degree. Mm. And the reason I say that is because I never really tried to push my ideals on them, but I would always paint a picture. Mm-hmm. And so when you paint that picture, then they can interpret it for themselves. Yeah. So, for instance, when even when it came to like the whole Black Lives Matter, I mean, excuse me, Black Lives Matter movement. That started it, it wasn't just with George Floyd. It started really. I mean, Trayvon Martin, of course, was also um, a motivating Pivotal. factor for the yeah. movement. Right. But the whole thing was like black deaths had increased with the Obama era. Exponentially. Yes. Exponentially. And I mean, you you had the uh, Eric Garner, you had yes. Trayvon Martin, and that slogan Freddie Gray, like, became like, a yeah, Freddie Gray. It, that slogan became a, 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 a rallying cry, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I, I don't even know how, you know, a historian, someone like yourself or Jamon would, would characterize what happened, what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and and what it means in this moment in time because it's so many layers to it because it's a slogan uh 
it it is also an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, that organization has different uh, different initiatives in different places. Mm-hmm. It was the Black Lives Matter conference that was in Cleveland in All honor right. of Freddie Gray. Uh, so it like it's it's unique. You know what I'm saying? So like it I is. don't even know how historians will look at this because it's not like the Black Panther Party where it's like you're a member of the Black Panther Party. It's in there. It's it's More it's a today yeah. version of like watching a movement happen. Very true, but but that's the thing that I was getting at. Like, we started there with my scholars, and this was just one of the lessons in mm-hmm. regards to painting that picture. But to be honest, we have been doing things similar to Black Lives Matter for a very, very, very yeah. long time. So literally, yeah. when you think about it, though, like if freedom technically, or should I say freedom written down somewhere or documented in America was in 1865. You know what I mean? So, or with the passing of the 13th Amendment. So, yes, in 1865, from 1865 to 1964, you had civil rights. People literally fighting for civil rights in various stages because you had your WB and then you had your um, Booker T. And then you had Ida B. Wells fighting yeah. for in regards to lynching. And then you have, you know, MLK and your Malcolm X's and everybody there. So that's like a hundred year time span in yeah. which people, various leaders and not just them. Those are the ones that I just mentioned. But again, various leaders, including like my girl. Fannie Lou, who even hit on intersectionality, which is something that we didn't really talk about. But the whole thing is that various leaders in a hundred year dang near time period were fighting for civil rights and Black Lives Matter. Like literally. It it, it was. And this is I didn't think we were going to go there. And and, uh, uh, somebody that's working with me now, Gigi, interning here is in the (laughs) room, too, because we're going to get into another discussion after this. But it's like how the discussion goes. Like, yeah, the. The genius of Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. is the marketing of today and how social media goes and right. really in the hashtag because it became a hashtag right. and even unpacking what that hashtag means. And then all the all lives matter, which it's like both phrases make sense, but nobody brought up the whole all lives. And then mm-hmm. furthermore, it's like the mattering. And then you can take that a little further. It is of today because, you know, I remember as a child uh, marching in front of uh, where, you know, uh, around where Malice Green was murdered. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Malice Green. Uh, I remember being a part of a protest at Lord and Taylor out in Fairlane Mall where a man was murdered uh, and Jesse Jackson was there. Like th- some of these actions have not changed. It's just the way that it's packaged now. Mm-hmm. And then new young people grabbing on. And then even also as we look at the lens in history and it's like, oh, that margin don't do nothing or this don't do nothing for that or blah, blah, blah. And some of these movements, as we unpack it in history, it'll be great to look back and be one of those older people that's like 60 in the room. And they'll be mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, you know, it ain't like back in the day when you was a kid with Black Lives Matter. And I'm going to be like, all right, well, let me give you some <laughs> context for that and, and what that looked like and right. how that feels. Right. You know, last summer here um, with um, Detroit Will Breathe. Mm-hmm. Um which goes back to the whole concept of what happened with Eric Garner uh, and, and many of the organizers with that. It was it was a lot of things happening in Detroit last summer that will be documented depending upon how you look at mm-hmm. history. Like, damn, that happened here. Yeah. I mean, but even still, just with mentioning the stuff that's, that has happened here, you know, we didn't mention Ayanna or, or yeah. Mackenzie Cockrell or I can't. 
I don't know if you remember. The me. young lady in Dearborn where yep. that guy walked Who, up. Exactly. Uh, man, yeah, she I was looking that for help, too. Name. I can't yeah. remember her name right now either. But those yeah. are, are things that, that we mean because even with Mackenzie's story, he got killed at Northland. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. I mean. I remember it's, now it's that you say that you yep. said that Northland. I remember the protests there, you know, and and these and, and the actions and, and and what quote unquote we should do this, we should do that. Mm-hmm. I I believe as a historian, uh, historians take sometimes will document what happened and how mm-hmm. in different people's takes. As just a person that likes to talk about it more, like a content creator or they say media journalists. That's mm-hmm. what they label me later on, but. Uh, <laughs> It's the context matters, too, because it takes a myriad of many approaches to move agendas forward. Correct. I don't think it's 100 percent one way or the other. I I don't I don't necessarily think that, you know, where Marcus Garvey was correct. W.B. Du Bois was wrong. Right. It's it's many forms but there's no absolute per se it depends on where you at uh the functionality because different people can play different roles in 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 any movement Uh, and people have yeah and and i you know and i'm glad you brought that up because even with kind of what you were saying beforehand when people like you know everybody just protesting they ain't gonna do nothing but it does and the whole thing is that that statement within itself is a generalization because as you just mentioned people were doing things in the background that weren't noticed stuff has always happened simultaneously in regards to movements you know and and even with like i can't remember the lady's name right now i I recently learned um about a woman during the montgomery bus boycott who was just cooking and her cooking alone she was selling dinners to make a bunch of money, and she did stack a lot of money too, but anywho, was cooking dinners just so people could have fuel in their car so they could be, so that they could do the um, carpooling. So they could do the carpooling, yeah. which was, which the exactly. Montgomery bus boycott was very effective. It was. Uh, and it was leading up, even before it started, it was already a movement. It's funny, it's a song that Nick Speed sampled for me like years back. It was probably made in like the 50s, where it's mm-hmm. called Don't Ride That Alabama Bus, Don't mm-hmm. Take It No More. And this is before the Montgomery bus boycott, because right. it was already a movement like Damn Alabama. And then exactly. when we think of who George Wallace was, that was the governor in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and a, a candidate for president mm-hmm. <laughs> embraced by many of the at the time democratic system right. but then became republicans but it's all still part of the same structure like right. that's where history gives you these facts and you can put this stuff into context mm-hmm. where you can say oh okay yeah so the it, it definitely was not a, a lot of cohorts in support of uh martin luther king from an institutional level mm-hmm. but from the people the people were like yeah we support what the brother's doing because i remember when i was in alabama and i yeah. remember how them people was treating me and people so, don't even think about that too because with the four little girls and the bombing of that church they used to call that area little baghdad because bombings were normal mm-hmm. and terrorism was normal in that area mm-hmm. so the fact that that church even got bombed in alabama as well it, it was it was shocking but Again, to be labeled as little Baghdad because yeah. that was a, a black area that continuously got bombed. Like Alabama was already a hot spot that was just about yes. to go into go into chaos. You know what I mean? So it's just like I, again, and and I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, but 
it just when you think of all the pieces that come together, there is no absolute way no. to to solve an issue as deep as you know institutionalized racism, overt racism, covert racism, anything that blocks people from yeah. being able to advance in a country that's supposed to be for the free. And it's not; it never was designed for us. Exactly. This is still a nation at, at the root of everything that happens. This is a nation designed for. I don't even want to say white men because that just late. It's designed for white men that own property. That is the design and the makeup of what this nation is built for under the laws. Mm -hmm. But even the property they own was obviously stolen property uh, given to them with uh, with lending from other European nations. So like when we think of the foundation of the functionality of what America is is for that, that's where you kind of got to follow it. It's Mm -hmm. it's the rights of who says this property is theirs. So. Uh, so all of the adjustments, as people say, like, should we burn it down? Should we tear it up? Do we change it? These are all intellectual discussions that I think need mm-hmm. to continue to happen. But it, it, we, we need to always remember the premise at which the foundation of all of this right. exists. Hence, uh, I had a back and forth with another guy that does content, too, about, you know, I always ask that question. You know, if you could rename what word after one person, who would it be and why? Mm-hmm. And he was like, who was already named after a Detroiter? And it's like, well, he's named after a colonist. You know, mm-hmm. a, 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 a colonizer, a murderous colonizer. That was Just one like of the Cass worst. Tech. Well, I mean, Cass. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when we think of, you know, I mean, damn near if if a street's named after you, <laughs> let's put it like this. You wasn't doing, you know, one of the things, you know, our last president yeah. said that was true. It's like, well, you know, if we take down the names of Robert E. Lee, might as well take down Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Right. I'm like, he's telling the damn truth. Because they were definitely, you know, when, when it comes to slave ownership, Thomas Jefferson was one of the uh, most Wicked, yeah. you know, but these truths are, are are the truths of 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 this nation. Uh, so along that line, I, I do have this question mm-hmm. when, when we think of Juneteenth and, and, and people moving forward and, and building the committee, because you also along the way, when we think about movements, mm-hmm. you've collected a team of very talented Black folks that are working with you uh, mm-hmm. all focused on a goal. How do you how do you manage that? How do you keep their energies and their spirits up? And um, how do you honor that? Because even in that can become an exchange and move out further for more initiatives. I'm just a beneficiary of favor. And I'm not even going to hold you up. The most beautiful thing about the committee is that these are people who do what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And and. I don't really even know if it's like a method to keep anybody's spirits up or pumped, you know, like, like I said, I really just think it's favor that these are the people who decided to trust me to lead, who Mm -hmm. wanted to come behind a common cause of celebrating the culture with this holiday. So, um, honestly, like, I think kind of tapping into everybody's strengths, that helps. And then letting everybody do what they do. You know, and that's the the beautiful thing. Um, I think it was Ella Baker. She was just saying, like, strong people don't need strong leaders. And that's how I feel in, in this position hmm. with being the chair of June Team Jubilee Detroit. Hmm. Wow. 
That's deep. That's deep. So uh, with that, I think we could close out. Tell the people uh, where to go, where where can they connect? Uh, mm-hmm. Cause you know us, we I, I know how I would be. I'd just show up on on uh, right. on the day of, just and like then all be our here. other cousins, just like yes, <laughs> that in true in true cultural fashion, right? And that's why like, you ain't got no ticket. Where are you going? <laughs> come on, so, come on. So what what should people do? How do they connect? Um, and you'll definitely, as you continue this on, we'll probably keep these interviews going because uh, it's always good to unpack this stuff. And mm-hmm. Sharia is one, one of my closest. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been some time now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how uh, how do people come? Do they get? Do they need tickets? How do they support the effort? How do they get there? You know, and because uh, people will call you on your direct line and like, where do I park? <laughs> and it's like, uh, do you realize that I'm carrying like. 10 bags of water and deliver ice right. to people. <laughs> so let me address that first. Uh, we do have access to parking lots B and D on Livernoy. So that's where... I don't even know where that's at. You got to say, um, <laughs> give us the landmarks. <laughs> right. Oh, well, the landmarks. Okay. Because one of them isn't here at liquor store, but... Okay. That's what, hey, hey, that's probably a good landmark. It's across, it's like... from, across from New Prospect. Um, okay. People definitely know New Prospect yes, Church. So it's across the street on the... Um, east side of Livernois. Um, so both parking lots actually are on the east side of Livernois and they are near the hub, which is at the Best Artist Management Studio. So um, with that, if you are interested in attending Juneteenth Jubilee, the stroll on the Historic Avenue of Fashion, you can register for a free ticket, which will allow you general admission and get you a wristband so you can get your discounts, giveaways, all the stuff that we have for you um, at June nineteenth dot co. That's J U N E one nine T H dot C O. Um, but if you would like to be VIP, as we say, um, then you can purchase a ticket at the same site. Again, that's June nineteenth dot co. And what that will do, you'll get some extra swag, and you'll also have extended hours at our little lounges. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Do I get somebody that walks out with a, a champagne bottle and a sparkler? <laughs> no. no. So oh, um, okay. you'll get like I that's what VIP meant. Nah, but you'll get you'll get special swag. So commemorative um, swag to to commemorate Juneteenth on the Juneteenth Jubilee on the uh, historic Avenue of Fashion. So that includes t-shirts, notebooks, all the stuff. We got a bunch of sponsors too that has have given to the uh, swag too. But anyway. Cool. VIP members get the swag, extended hours, some food, drink tickets. You know, you get a lot of love for 15 bucks. Um, That's what's up. Yep. So, and on top of that, for everybody else, too, I forgot to mention earlier, we've also been connected with Motown Museum, Hmm. and they're doing the unveiling of the Marvin Gaye. I don't know if they're going to call it Marvin Gaye Avenue or Street, Mm -hmm. but the whole idea is that they're going to kick off at 11 o'clock where Marvin Gaye's old house was. And then that's 11. So people know that is in the district right mm-hmm. there by Livernois. Uh, if uh, any fans, you know, it was recently a documentary. Another thing I got to yeah. watch about the what's going <laughs> on, uh, the the commemorative 50 years since what's going on was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Coleman, one of our Detroit historians, is in it and, and some other people. But that's right off Outer Drive. People don't know. He was working in Motown, set on mm-hmm. that album for a while. And he was actually working it at Baker's. He was just walking over to Baker's singing a lot of the songs and the historic images from that album cover were shot like right in his backyard. Yeah. 
So, thank you. You know. Thank you for that. Yeah, yes. you know, I'm a nerd right. on that stuff. Bring it all together. Yeah. So, so it's um, right there. It's not like you're going to drive right. all the way down West Grand Boulevard. You can stay <laughs> on foot and see that as well. Correct. So they're going to do that unveiling. And then that's from 11 to 11.45. Then everybody will be transitioning to the Avenue of Fashion for Juneteenth. So, again, to register, go to June 19th. That code that's J U N E 190th dot co to register for a general admission ticket or to pay for a VIP ticket. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've already asked you the classic question, so I don't know what ending question I can ask you now. It's just like off the cuff, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm locked, my mind is locked, so I'm going to leave with that. But also within your trivia and other facts, what's next to come? for black history and Sharia? Well, I don't even know, to be honest. Um, Yeah, basically, I'm going to try to take on my ideals and and bring all everything together. So continue to try to be a connector, I'll say, between all the partners and sponsors and all my jobs, you know, bring okay. it all together because everything pretty much that motivates me is based around black history and who I am as a person. That's what's up. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.